I do love a good stat. Hello and welcome to Real V Feel, netball numbers that matter, a podcast with me, freelance journalist Erin Dullahunty and Dr Aaron Fox, a lecturer in applied sports science and research methods at Deakin University. In this weekly show, hopefully you all know by now, we align what it feels like happened in round seven of Super Netball over the weekend with what the stats, the real, tell us. Of course, we wouldn't be here without our major sponsor, All In One Property. If you've recently purchased property, you know it involves tons of paperwork and stress. You've got to sort out conveyancing, finance and insurance, and that's if it's a simple deal. All In One Property can help handle every step or just one. Visit allinoneprop.com to learn more. I'd like to acknowledge I'm on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people in Echuca and Aaron is on Wadarung land in Geelong. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Well, there were no real surprises this weekend, Aaron, results-wise, I guess, which marked the halfway point of the home and away season. I think, if anything, we saw the top four, Fever, Thunderbirds, Swifts and Vixens pretty much bed themselves in for the final four. Would that be fair? I'd probably agree. The top four is really starting to take shape. I still feel like the Lightning are knocking on the door and the Swifts are perhaps the most likely to come out, which makes their matchup this weekend have pretty big implications. Uh, So I'm definitely looking forward to that one. Uh, But let's look back to the round that just happened and why don't we change things up a little bit and (laughs) you start us off with the Vixens versus Firebirds. Well, yes, I mean, the Vixens did get the win here by eight points, but it did look like it was going to be an upset for quite a while. The Firebirds were leading at halftime, but a second half sort of defence-led resurgence saw the Vixens storm home. Um, The things that jumped out to me, I mean, we have to do the obvious, Aaron, the Vixens, you know, the gains that they had that that tells us their 14 gains that they were going to win. Um, The Firebirds had 25 turnovers, uh, which was the worst for this round. And also we saw Beck Bully's team really heavily penalised with 63 penalties. I think only Collingwood were the worst this round. Um, Kira Austin probably didn't have her best game either. She had a lot of turnovers. She had seven. um, And then... Yeah, I mean, you were sort of pointing out to me when we were chatting before that it really was, you know, a tale of two halves this game, whether you look at the the gains or the the gain to goal percentage, you know, it really shifted and changed from one half to the other. But it was the second half, obviously, that the Vixens were able to pull out that helped them get the, you know, get the win. Now, you're going to have a look at the Derby or is it Derby? I don't know if that depends on where you went to school or where you were born, but that's the match between the Swifts and the Giants. I think it depends on what state you are presently okay. in. Okay. And Derby maybe for New South Wales. Um, Victoria, so I have Definitely. no idea. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, like you mentioned at the top, no real surprising results this weekend. So, as expected, I guess the Swiss took this over the Giants by a slim margin of three goals. Uh, some things that really stood out in this one, we had Helen Housby first game shooting at 100% for her, although volume was only at 15 shot attempts. So not super high, but still 100% anytime mm-hmm. is always good. Mm-hmm. Sophie Dwyer had a maybe good and bad shooting game, seven out of eight super shots, but Interesting, she sort of went missing when the side needed her in the last quarter and that's where some misses started to 
come out. Mm-hmm. Like in game one of the round, there was a bit of a shift after half time with gain to goal conversion. The Swifts coming out and converting 100% of their gains in the second half. Uh, and the Giants didn't have a single gain in the last. Yeah. Um, Matty Proud, MVP for this game, lots of feeds at 32, 29 of those coming with an attempt. So that's a really good ratio. Um, and, you know, the super shots again perhaps made this closer for the Giants than expected. If you just look at standard shots, they were down 11, mm-hmm. um, but flipped on the super shots, they were up plus eight for that. So that's yeah. why this game was so close again. Pretty common theme that we're seeing with the Giants across the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so next up, Perhaps what you know, might have been game of the round, the Fever versus the Lightning. Yeah, look, I don't think anyone realistically thought the Lightning were going to knock off the Fever here, especially coming off of a loss. And and obviously that didn't eventuate. The Fever won by 10. Um, it was a 24-goal third quarter that really changed this game. Um, but I have to say after five or six minutes when Courtney Bruce and Janelle Fowler both kind of crunched out of first gear, and got into second gear, um, they really didn't look like losing it, despite the Lightning's, you know, many super shot attempts. Um, Fowler shot 65 from 65 in this game. Um, That's the third time this year she's done that. I think it was around one and two when she was on that uh, unmissed shot streak that we had talked about earlier. Um, There was also a couple of really interesting things about possession that we're going to dig into later on in the pod, both sides had a hundred percent gain to goal. So that's, you know, that's pretty tidy work. And then fever had a 91% center pass conversion, which a few people have been asking us, where does that rate across the season? So stay tuned and we'll, we'll give you some answers. Um, somewhat surprisingly, Steph Wood actually had the most gains for the Lightning with three. Um, and Courtney Bruce had the most turnovers. So probably two statistics you might might potentially expect to, to be opposite. Now, you're going to have a look at the last game of the round, the Thunderbirds versus Collingwood, Aaron. So I'm glad I haven't watched a lot of this game and seen it in full because what I'm about to say doesn't sound pretty. Um, it wasn't. A, a lot of the statistics in this match are on the negative side. And so the Thunderbirds yeah. took it 52 to 47, not the highest scoring game we've seen this year. And there's reasons for that. Um, the Magpies, 30 penalties in the first quarter. Uh, and we'll talk about the, that a little bit later on as well yep. uh, in the pod. And the Pies only scored seven in the first quarter, um, lowest quarter score for them this season, and all three shooters were in negative net points territory for that. Uh, unsurprisingly, based on what we're saying, this was a good game for the keepers. Sterling and Mentor both had eight and nine games respectively, so they were really taking the ball away. Um, or maybe their opponents were giving the ball back. <laughs> it's a bit uh, of both. You could look at it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the Magpies sent a pass to goal percentage. You talked about how well the Fever did that in mm. their game. Theirs was at 58% and dropped as low as 40% in quarter one. We talked about this a few times on the pod that you're not going to win games doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and perhaps a unique stat from this one, the Magpies had 23 deflections, which is really good, getting yeah. your hands on the ball, tipping those passes. Yep. Didn't get any gains from them. Mm. So unlucky, perhaps. Yeah, all for nothing. And I think ultimately that first quarter really killed 
Collingwood in that quarter. They did really respond to Nicole Richardson, I think, um, as the game wore on. But it was sort of for naught when you play that poorly for 15 minutes off off the top. Now, our first deep dive today is, again, touching on what we've just been mentioning. It's I've I've dubbed it record round. We really did have everything from the sublime to the ridiculous. And a few stats had me messaging you quietly over the weekend. It's lucky that you're so well paid for this podcast, Aaron, that you are. Mm, definitely. Yes. <laughs> you don't mind Working me. Working overtime. <laughs> you don't mind me texting you because there were so many things that jumped out. I thought, I wonder if that's a record. I wonder if we've seen that before. So we thought we'd dive into a few both negative and positive so we'll touch on the not so good to start with. Um, as I wrote in my Fox Nipple talking points out of the round, Collingwood's first quarter against the Thunderbirds was record-breaking for all the wrong reasons. They had the equal lowest score for a quarter for the season. They had 30 penalties in a quarter, which you helped me understand was the highest we've seen in a Super Nipple game since mid-2020. And then not one but three players who just happened to all be shooters were all in negative net points in the first And when the game ended, shooter Sophie Garbin was sitting at negative 23.5. So let's start off with the pies and that low scoring quarter for me. Mm. So we'll look at this from 2020 onwards, given the super shot being in play can really affect how much you can score in a quarter. Sure. And it's not the worst we've seen. The Thunderbirds scored five in the fourth quarter against the Fixens in 2022. And six has been scored three times, uh, once in the first quarter and twice in the fourth quarter. So when you get to the Magpies scoring seven on the weekend, it's the second lowest first quarter score by a team since 2020. Um, it's the lowest first quarter score for this year, this season. This season, yeah. Um, and, you know, it equals the lowest quarter score overall for this season. The Firebirds have hit seven goals twice so far within a quarter this year. And so the Magpies are kind of joining them at the bottom with this first quarter from the weekend. And what about those 30 penalties in the first? Yeah, so you flagged there that um, the last time we saw 30 penalties in a quarter was in 2020 by the Vixens against the Thunderbirds, Mm -hmm. which the Thunderbirds won that match 54 to 47. Uh, But it's not the highest we've ever seen looking back to the ANZ Championship and across the Super Netball years, we actually saw 34 penalties by the Pulse against the Fever in a round eight match back in 2011. And there are some other examples of anywhere between 31 to 33 penalties over those years, but Mm -hmm. there's only eight quarters ever in ANZ Championship and Super Netball where greater than 30 penalties have happened. So... This is a rarity. It's easily the highest so far this year. The next highest was 25 by the Firebirds against the Vixens also this week. So a couple of Mm. the highest penalised quarters in the same round. Mm. Yeah, Bianca Chatfield wrote about this today in Code Sports about, uh, you know, the number of penalties we're seeing from teams that are are trailing. So I think it might become a bit of a key as the season goes on. Now, I also touched on the Pies having three players in negative net points. And I guess we tend to normally focus on the positive side, don't we? We we look at the, the top scoring and, and does it align with did they win the MVP and that sort of thing. But these negative scores really, really jumped out. Um, and as, as I touched on, all being shooters, Aaron. Yeah, so three players in negative net points in quarter one, Sophie Garvin, 
uh, Nelson and Singleton, like I said, mm-hmm. all the shooters. And I was thinking that this would be quite difficult to find yeah. situations where this happens. I would have thought surpri- so too. Yeah, surprisingly, this isn't actually too bad compared to some other matches. So okay. it's actually been five occasions where teams have had six players on negative net points within a quarter. So huh. almost everyone, right? I can't imagine those have been the prettiest quarters <laughs> for um, those teams. Uh, but the highest this year was actually the Firebirds in their round four match against the Magpies in ah. the third quarter. They had both. They had five players in that negative range. They had both their shooters, Stour and Wallum, mm-hmm. uh, plus Kim Revalian, Bakewell Doran, and Ash Uni, uh, in negative net points in that mm. third quarter. So three, mm. not, not so not bad. Great, but not too bad. <laughs> well, I mean, we, I probably have to put my hand up here and say we. I, I tend to go on about the, the net points not rewarding defenders enough for their acts in the game. But I think seeing those three shooters for the pies and now the two firebirds shooters probably demonstrates to you how penalised you are as a shooter because those mistakes are really pronounced, particularly where you're missing super shots. That can really, really hurt shooters. So let's just have a moment silence for the shooters on, on that instance yeah. as well. But that, that, is a, that is probably a good reflection of the way the points are meant to be work, meant to work and the way they were designed. Yeah, I mean, defenders should take, I guess, pride in that, right? Yes. Like if your opponent's on negative net exactly. points, even though you might have only picked up like a few, yes. you're doing a good job. Aaron, you've given me an idea. I think you need to design a new system where the direct opponent gets to absorb the negative and add them onto the positive side of their ledger. Hmm. You feel yeah, it? Not a bad idea, yeah. <laughs> now, I, you know, I mean, I guess everyone does make mistakes, but it is a good way to sort of to track it. Now, Sophie Garbin's overall game, there's been a lot of a lot written about this and, and said about this. That negative 23 and a half is, from what you've just said, is that not as bad as people may have thought to, to begin with? Yeah, uh, n- not as bad as <laughs> perhaps putting it nicely. Okay. Uh, but it's... It's, again, definitely not the worst we've seen in a match. So mm-hmm. in the database I have, I've got a match where Joe Harton was listed as recording negative 63 net points in a 2022 matchup versus the Thunderbirds. Yeah. When I look at this in the match center online, it's only actually listed as negative 50, though. So I'm not sure the discrepancy is there, but the reason this score happened was Harden had seven seven missed super shots (laughs) alongside seven general play turnovers, which, um, you know, if you didn't have stuff to make that up with that we've maybe made super shots and other things, that's how you end up in the negative. Uh, There's also a negative 61 and a half from Kalia Stanton when she played for the Vixens in 2021. And once again, this was due to a number of missed shots and turnovers. Uh, So, In the broader scheme of things, perhaps not so bad for Sophie Garvin, but relative to this season, she is holding the two lowest net point scores with this negative 23.5 and negative 23 from matches against top two sides, the Fever and the Thunderbirds. So, Mm. you know, something's going on in these matches with the top tier sides that's causing this to happen and and maybe needs to be fixed up for the Magpies. Yeah, I mean, look, that's not a record anybody wants. Now for something a little bit more positive when it comes to this record round, I want to talk to you about my favourite subject, which of course is keepers who keep clean. And I'm sure you're going to tell me that Shamira Sterling not giving away a single 
contact in 60 minutes of netball against Collingwood is in fact a super netball record. It has to be, yes? Well, I looked at this from a goalkeeper perspective. So Strictly. any players, yeah, who have played goalkeeper for 60 minutes, have they ever not given away a contact penalty? And you're absolutely correct. And I don't think anyone would be surprised. This has never happened before, at least in super netball history. As we start getting back to the ANZ Championship data, I'm not entirely confident in okay. the substitution okay. records, but super netball is great. Um, yeah, that's that's obviously never happened before. The closest another player has got here for a full match in goalkeeper is two contact penalties, and four players have done a full match at goalkeeper with three penalties. Just less and than one is, a quarter, Aaron. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And this is the point where I come back to you. You're the expert on defenders. <laughs> Who are these players that can play goalkeeper and keep it clean? Uh, do I get Shamira Sterling? Do I get a tick for her? <laughs> yeah, well, she's one of them. She's one of the Excellent. ones who's done it I've three got times. One. Um, well, I mean, last time overlooking Jeeva Mentor, I think when you ask me a question like this, I'm going to have to say her, probably at the height of her powers. I want to say Sunshine Coast Lightning years. As for the others in recent times, I think maybe Pumza Maweni, uh, maybe Ama Abwezi might be another one. And maybe can I throw in Sam Pullman as well? Because you've surprised me before with Sam with low numbers and I felt terrible for assuming. So I'm going to go with Jeeva for the two and those other, the others for the threes. Yeah, you've done pretty well here. So you got a few of the names on the list. So okay. the players who have done this. Oh, I forgot. Sixty minutes. I, I didn't. I didn't mention Jane Watson. I'm throwing Jane Watson in late admission yeah. as well. No, you didn't have to there. Okay. Don't worry about <laughs> one. Uh, so players with three who've done this: six minutes in goalkeeper and have recorded three penalties. Mm -hmm. uh, Shamira Sterling yep. has done this twice oh. in 2022. Yep. yep. Uh, you got Sam Pullman. She's done this twice: once in 2020 and once in 2021. Yep. And you also got Jeeva Mentor, who did this once in 2021. Uh, the player you missed here was Sarah Clough, who actually did that this year, 60 minutes in goalkeeper with three contact really? penalties. I and have to say, you, she did run through my mind just now, and I thought, no, oh, I don't know that I've seen her ever be that You can't clean. just list every goalkeeper, though. That wasn't. Uh, I gave you four. <laughs> <laughs> you did, however, miss the person who's the closest to Shamira Sterling, yep. who... Um, has done 60 minutes in goalkeeper and only done two contact penalties, yep. which is actually Tara Hinchliffe oh. uh, for the Firebirds in 2020, round eight. Wow. Gosh, I owe so many defenders so many apologies. I should have got that too. Yes. Now, I just wanted to quickly add here, when we started researching this subject and Shamira's, you know, zero contact game, as I think we should call it, we did sort of start wondering whether advantage penalties came into the champion data stats or not. Um, so I checked in with my stats guru at champion data and I can confirm that when an umpire pays advantage contact or advantage obstruction, they don't go on the player's stats. So you might have, you know, re-watching, say, that Thunderbirds game, you might hear that word once or twice. There might be a time when someone scored and Shamira fell at the end and there was an advantage, but that doesn't actually end up on her list, which I found really interesting because I think people, half people, fans probably assume that they do count and then the other half of fans probably assume that they don't. And the other, the flip side of that, of course, is where a shooter is shooting and there is a penalty paid, that miss isn't included as a miss, obviously, because they were infringed 
um, you know, in the act of shooting. So we've got one last number that I wanted to quickly look at for this record round. And we, we talked about it a little bit earlier. And that was that the West Coast Fever and Sunshine Coast Lightning both had 100% gain to goal conversion in their match at the weekend. I feel like perhaps a dominant team will do this occasionally. We sometimes see it. But for both of them and in a game with such a wide gap, does that happen a lot? No, it doesn't. Short answer to this one. Uh, out of the 328 games I found where this stat has been recorded, first time it's happened. Both teams wow. 100% game yeah. goal. So good one to wrap up the record round yes. with that a very unique individual circumstance. Yeah, brilliant. In game. Okay, so our next subject is, you ready? Prepare yourself for this. Ring-a-ding contest for the golden wing-ding bib. Do you like that? <laughs> I mean, if anyone picked that up on first mention, good for them. Look, I, now that the dust has settled on the Diamonds selection news a little, I thought we could look at two players who are in direct competition um, with each other for a place. And they actually play the same position in Super Netball, which is nice. And that's wing defences, Amy Parmenta and Ash Brazel. Of course, the stats are always going to be just one part of the selection process, but given most people assume Liz Watson and Paige Hadley, um, who play at centre and wing attack, are locks for the squad for Cape Town, the wing defence position for me is probably one of, well, it is the most hotly contested of any on the court. So how do the two measure up at the moment, knowing, of course, that um, Ash Brazel didn't play at the weekend? I think I asked you to have a look at their key metrics this season and then last as well what did you come up with now if you listen to the podcast before you'll know that we are running on fumes when it comes to wing defense statistics uh, <laughs> yes. not much gets recorded for their work out there we but are. we can look at a few things and uh looked at their average statistics this year and the numbers that stand out uh between the two so this is just for this season and ash brazel is out feeding amy parmenta in uh passes into the the shooting circle, right? She's getting 4.6 feeds per game versus 1.8 feeds per game for Parmenta, but really obvious positional difference where they're playing. Of course. Uh, you know, you're not going to get many feeds from wing defense, but Brazel is probably switching to center a little bit. Uh, but that flexibility might be relevant selection-wise. You never know what the yeah. selectors are looking, looking for. for. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to the defensive statistics, um, Amy Parmenter this year is actually out in front for a lot of the key ones. She is getting 2.4 gains per game versus Brazel's one gain per game, uh, 3.7 deflections per game versus mm. Brazel's 1.8 per game, and intercept-wise, 1.7 per game for Parmenter versus 0.7 per game for Brazel. Uh, slight difference in contact penalties, but not really that much. Amy Parment is at 9.4 per game and Ash Brazel slightly cleaner at 8.7 okay, per game. Yep. Not much. Yep. Uh, and that's for this year. If we refer back to last year, the numbers are fairly similar. There's some difference, but those uh, who, who's leading in those categories was the same back in 2022. The numbers are different, but mm -hmm. Parment is doing the same thing. So yep. From a statistical standpoint, particularly on the defensive side, Amy Parmenter yep. probably looks a little bit ahead from a, that super netball perspective. Well, I mean, that sufficiently justifies my feel that 
Palmy should get the nod ahead of Braz. But teams are never picked on numbers alone, of course. Now, our final um, subject for this show is what I'm calling the rare breed, the defensive attacker. When I saw that Steph Wood had the most gains for Lightning in their loss to the Fever, it prompted me to think about another one of my favourite things, and that is goalers and wings that work hard, wing attacks that work hard on defence. So, you know, someone like a Kira Austin, a Helen Housby, a Maddie Hay, they're all considered, you know, big assets defensively for their teams. So who is the best defender who isn't actually a defender, Aaron? Mm. So looked at players who spent the majority of their time within a given season at wing attack and goal attack. Mm-hmm. That's how we labelled them as these uh, positions and then had a look at their defensive statistics, namely their gains and deflections. Uh, and we can do this from 2010 onwards as this is when gains really started being recorded. Okay. Um, and so we take, yeah, the average for these defensive statistics per game and, and look who's at the top. So if you look at the top three for gains from these wing attacks and goal attacks, at number one, you've got 1.2 per game uh, for Marie Bowden, mm-hmm. right? And I had to really look back at this and perhaps she played some center two, which might've yes. helped with this. Yep. Um, at number two, we've got Sherelle McMahon with 1.1 gains per game. Yep. That's why they built a and statue then, for it, Aaron. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, that's maybe why she's got one, the defensive work. Um and then at number three, you've got Liz Watson with 0.92 per game. And yep. so they're your top three for gains, just followed by some names you mentioned there, Maddie Hay, Kira Austin, and Helen Housby. If you look at deflections, uh, right at the top is Kira Austin. She's yep. getting 1.6 per game. Then you've got Maddie Hay with 1.4 per game. And number three is actually Sophie Dwyer ah, at 1.3 per game. It's remiss of me to not include her. Yep. Mm. And so, again, these players are just followed by Sherelle McMahon, Helen Housby, and Gretel Bueda. So across these categories of gains and deflections, the players that are sort of at the top in both, you've got Kira Austin, Helen Housby, Maddie Hay, which are some players you flagged. Mm. Uh, and, you know, Steph Wood from the weekend doesn't really feature. So this was a bit of an anomaly mm. for her game. Mm. Uh, but if you're looking from an all-time perspective, you've probably got to add Sherelle McMahon to this list as well. I think they need another statue next to her outside John Kane Arena. One of her, one of her doing something yes. defensively. Yes, yes. affecting <laughs> the deflection for those, de- uh, yes. for those defenders. Um, but, yeah, that, that actually all sort of, you know, feeds back into the, you know, the idea that you have. I thought Helen Housby might have been higher up in there, to be honest. Um, now we have a special offer from our major sponsor, All-in-One Property. Real versus Feel listeners know by now that All-in-One Property can help home buyers with conveyancing, loans, property law and insurance. They can link you in with a bunch of property services so you can have one point of contact instead of many when purchasing a home. And the best bit is you can use all the services or just some. It's a one-stop shop for when you're buying a home, helping you handle the conveyancing, finance, insurance and property law paperwork, reducing stress and saving time. And for a limited time, if you reach out to All In One Property and mention the podcast, you'll receive 10% off conveyancing services. Visit allinoneprop.com or call 03 to discover how you can benefit from the streamlined property transfer process. It's now that time for Fox Answers the Fans. 
a couple of uh, listeners, including Jeremy Rich and George, uh, Georgia Doyle, tweeted us about the West Coast Fever's centre pass conversion rate in their win over the Lightning. So we've decided to just steal that as our question this week. I hope you don't mind, guys. As we've touched on a couple of times, the Fever finished with a 91% centre pass conversion, which even if you quickly look at the other games from this round, is mighty impressive. I think the Swifts were closest at 80%. Um is, I mean, where does this kind of rate in the Parthenon of looking after the ball from the centre? So if we look at quarter-by-quarter quarter statistics, yep. there are examples of 100% centre-pass yeah. to goal conversion. Yep. There's even one in my database of 106%. Excellent. I have no idea why that's there. <laughs> I feel like it's got something to do with the super shot, but we won't get or into Or an that. extra centre-pass, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, anyway... Uh, when you look at overall game, though, like mm. for the whole game, you can't maintain that 100%. Uh, but this 91% is the highest ever recorded center pass to goal percentage for an entire game from when this statistic has been recorded. Amazing. The next highest is 85%. So before the weekend, 85% was the highest, and that had been achieved four times, once by the Lightning in 2019, mm -hmm. twice by the Fever, once each in 2021 and 2022, and once by the Magpies in 2022. So when you add this 91% in for the Fever on the weekend, they actually now have three of the top five yeah. center pass to goal percentage matches, once each in 2021, 22, and 23. And a question we had a few weeks ago was like, you know, which conversion percentage leads yes. to That's right. best Success. performance? And yeah. we found center pass to goal was probably one to target. And so it's not surprising if the Fever are good at this over the last few years, why they're a good team, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, every netballer ever who has played has been told by a coach, all we have to do is score off our centre pass. And it really is that simple, whether you're at the grassroots or at the top level. It's very unique uh, quirk of netball that we give each other a turn um, as, mm. you know, as we kind of go around. And you can just, just look after the ball in that way. It's very sociable. Uh, now, I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again this week, perhaps another week of super netball where there was a lack of controversy, right? I'm, I'm, well, you're giving me a look that maybe I haven't paid attention to something. <laughs> I mean, but there's anyway. a fair bit of controversy about the Colling Collingwood's first quarter, which we've touched oh, on, okay. but not All off right, court. Yes. Not off court is fair. So when I say this, I'm always looking forward to what's going to come out in Della Bluntly when there is a lack of controversy. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. Well, this week I'm going positive. I want to give some props to New South Wales Swift defender Maddie Turner. So who we know that Maddie was dropped from the Australian Diamond squad last week, replaced by Adelaide Thunderbird Matilda Garrett. And whenever there's a team announcement, obviously for the Diamonds, one of the most successful teams in Australian sport, the spotlight naturally falls on the inclusion, the shiny new thing, which is Garrett in this case. While meanwhile, another player's aspirations are sort of lying there in tatters. So it was brilliant then to see how Turner responded to what would have been shattering news during the week in the Swifts um, win over the Giants in the Derby. I haven't looked too closely at her stats, but on feel alone, it was one of her best games this season. And she was key in this win. She was she played both at goal defence and at keeper. She finished with five gains, which included four intercepts. Turner was reasonably clean too. She only had nine contacts and three obstructions. And given she'd played out at goal defence and then went back to keeper, that's pretty admirable. I reckon she'd be well below her KPIs there. 
I think it speaks to her positive outlook and, you know, her resilience, I guess, that she was able to come out and perform for her club, her teammates, and obviously coach Bryony Akel, who is known to have a really close relationship with her players. They obviously, you know, probably can take some credit for helping her refocus during the week. So that's my, that's my Della Bluntly for the week. A big props to Maddie Turner. I do enjoy the positive ones. And on this topic, I think the depth that is available for that Australian Diamond squad is incredible. And, you know, there are, you know, the Jamaican team is going to make a huge run at the World Cup. Um, But one of the the great positives the Australians have is this capacity to maybe even have like two international quality teams. Yeah, available for them. I think there's a book in player, you know, talking about players who were born into certain generations. You know, Maddie Turner would walk into any other any other goal defence bib anywhere else in the world, but she just happens to be Australian and in the generation that she's in. There's a lot of lot of players in a, a similar similar spot. But now it's time to check out how your shot in the dark went for this round. Aaron, you decided to keep it simple because we were having a, having a little bit of problems getting rough runs patch, on we the could board. call it. <laughs> uh, and so you went back to an old favourite of both of ours. You tipped the Melbourne Vixens to get more than 10 gains against the Firebirds and therefore the win. And, of course, you got it. The Melbournians recorded 14 gains. Mm, I think that this has <laughs> got to be an appropriate go-to in any game that we think the Vixens will win. Yep. It's like the... The, the easy one to go. I, I don't want to do that though, right? That's okay. that's not my style. Okay. You're hard, more hardcore. Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so this this week, yeah. Yep. We have the the first matchup of the round between the Firebirds and the Magpies. Um, perhaps one that not many are looking forward to, but two teams that have struggled to take care of the ball this year, yes. particularly in recent games, we've seen that. Yes. Uh, and we've talked on this show about how teams will typically want to keep the number of times they give up possession. So yep. this is labeled in the stats as possession changes okay. to around 20 or less than 20. You're you're on a good track when okay. uh, you do that. Okay. I absolutely don't think that that will happen in this game okay. on the weekend. That's not what I'm predicting. Okay, okay. What I'm actually thinking we'll see is a pretty fast-paced back-and-forth game and yep. both teams will probably get above the 25 mark for possession changes. Okay. Uh, with one team, you know, might even exceed the 30 mark. So that's what I'm looking one? for this week. Um, No. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna, <laughs> that's how I'm going to play it safe. <laughs> I, I think both will probably get to about that 25 point. And, yeah, if one team sort of has that slightly more off game, they might crack that 30 mark. Okay, right. It's in the book. Well, that's a wrap for our latest episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RealVFeel and send us your Fox Answers the Fans question using the hashtag RealVFeel. All-in-One Property is a dedicated property service provider. It's a one-stop shop for when you're buying a home, helping you handle the conveyancing, finance, insurance and property law paperwork reducing stress and saving time. Use all the services or just one. Visit allinoneprop.com to find out more.